0: For me, when I went through school, I was very much a perfectionist in my work. And there's a certain level of wanting to care about the quality of your work. But once you get into the type of work that involves creating things and shipping things in one way or another, so for me that could be a sketch note or getting a website up or trying to put together an illustration, I'm much more on the end of getting it out there quicker and then making progress on that thing over time rather than trying to perfect it from the beginning
1: welcome to star of the doubts i'm your host jared easley our co-host today is jody mayberry from jodymayberry.com and proud to announce the new host of the park leaders podcast hey jody
2: hey jared thanks for having me back always man
1: we're fortunate today to speak with Mr. Doug Neal. Doug is an artist who helps people and organizations turn ideas into art through sketch notes and illustrations. He is passionate about ideas and believes ideas can bring positive change to individuals and communities. Doug has created websites, books, and a podcast centered on the concept of turning ideas into art. Doug, it is a pleasure to have you. Let's move this podcast from verbal to visual. Welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Thanks for having me on. Awesome.
1: So we like to ask this question to everybody that's on the show. What is the best concert that you have ever been to?
0: Oh, good question. I'd probably have to go with a concert that I went to in Portland with Josh Ritter. He's kind of, I don't know, does that name sound familiar to either of you two? Josh Ritter. He's pretty well known, but not super well known. He's kind of in the folk rock scene, I guess, a little bit. And he played a show at the Wonder Ballroom in Portland. And it was, even though like some of his music varies from slow to fast and everything in between, he has so much fun up on the stage that his joy is entirely contagious. So it was a great show.
1: Doug, what's a good song by Josh that people can look up on YouTube or look on
0: iTunes? Oh gosh, I don't even know if I'll be able to answer that one. Actually, <laughs> they're all good. They are all good. Let's just leave it at that.
2: Well, that said, let's roll in to finish this sentence. Jody, will you kick us off? Doug, we know that you like to spend time outdoors. So finish this sentence: If you ever camp on Mount Hood, if you ever camp on
0: Mount Hood, it depends when and where and what time of year. If you ever camp on Mount Hood. Make sure to hike above the tree line. Yeah, that's something a group of friends and I made a trip up to. There's this cabin called Tilly Jane that's about a two and a half mile hike from a spot where you can park. And when we did that hike, I guess just last weekend, part of it was in the snow. So we threw on our snowshoes to get up to that cabin, but that cabin is still below the tree line. But once you get above the tree line and look out, you have some pretty amazing views. We were looking toward the north and the second day we were up there from Mount Hood, you could see all the way to Mount Adams and Mount Rainier and Mount St. Helens. And to have all of those in your skyline is a pretty fantastic view. So that would be my recommendation. Good recommendation.
1: Doug, we're going to continue on with finish this sentence. When
0: hiking to the top of Mount Pisgah, it is important to... (laughs) When hiking to the top of Mount Pisgah, it's important to watch out for poison oak. There's quite a bit of that in this part of Oregon and particularly on that hike up the mountain. So be careful for that.
1: Doug, for those who are not trained in poison oak,
0: how do you spot that? How do you <laughs> Oh, know gosh. It? So it has a very oily look to the leaves and also kind of a reddish brown tint. So watch out for reddish brown leaves that look oily. That's probably the best way to identify poison oak. And it really could be. i nice. am pro- It's either poison oak or it's poison ivy. I frankly don't know the difference between the two, but you guys can do some research on your own to figure out the exact <laughs> term. But it really doesn't matter. Just avoid those things
1: leave a comment in the show notes. Yeah. All right.
0: Yes,
2: exactly. <laughs> Let's move from the outdoor classroom to the indoor classroom. My favorite thing about speaking to future elementary school teachers is hearing the age group that they want to work with. So you guys do
0: good research. Just a, a week ago, I filled in for an old professor of mine who is a professor within a master of arts and teaching program. So I filled in for him one day for his science methods class for elementary school teachers. So this is a class about teaching future elementary school teachers how to teach science. But that can range from grades anywhere from kindergarten up through, I think the degree they get is K through eight. So there's a pretty broad range. So the first thing I did when I sat in for that professor and talked to these future teachers was ask them the age that they wanted to teach. And it kind of ran the whole gamut. There were some that were going for the younger ages and some kind of up towards middle school. But just to hear them chat about that was fun and entertaining because I spend most of my time thinking about middle school and high school age students because that's where my background in teaching comes from, is teaching that age range. But to chat with folks about working with kids at the younger ages is a lot of fun too.
1: Sure. Doug, we're going to go into blank versus blank. We're going to give you a couple of options. And if you'd pick one and maybe a short reason why, and the first one's a softball, Portland versus Eugene. (laughs)
0: Right now, Portland, though I do live in Eugene right now. And I guess a big reason for that, there's a lot of things I like about Eugene and the Eugene area. I grew up just outside Eugene in a small town called Pleasant Hill. It has become a very familiar place. So what I like about Portland is one that it's a little bit bigger than Eugene. And just for me personally, it's a new scene. I spent a couple years living up in Portland. And there's an energy there that excites me, especially once I kind of started doing some things on my own, like getting into sketchnoting and starting to make more things. There's a pretty cool maker culture up in Portland and a cool community and general support for the types of things that I'm starting to get into. That's why I'd say Portland.
2: All right, Doug, would you rather visit Cathedral Park versus Downtown Telluride? Probably
0: Cathedral Park, even though they're very distinct. So Telluride's a pretty big name place in Colorado. I would say I would like to go to either a music festival or a movie festival in Telluride. That'd probably be the main thing that would draw me back there. I've only been there once on a road trip last fall, but Cathedral Park is a beautiful little park up in St. John's, which is the area in Portland that I lived in for about a year and a half. And it's far north of kind of downtown and where a lot of the action is going on in Portland, but it's right at the base of the St. John's Bridge, which is, in my opinion, the most beautiful bridge in Portland. And it's also Cathedral Park sits right on the river with the bridge kind of going above you. And then right across the Willamette River is Forest Park, which is another one of my favorite spots in Portland. A huge expanse on the order of 50 miles of trails in this beautiful forested region that I would often hike over and into whenever I needed to clear my mind. So being able to see all that from Cathedral Park makes that spot pretty desirable.
1: I've seen your picture of Cathedral Park on Instagram, and hmm. I'll say this. I'll be in Portland in the summer. I, I'm putting that on my to-do list
2: Good for sure. What are you coming to Portland
1: for? <laughs> I'll be there for a World Domination Summit, All but we're not right. there yet. Yeah, we'll talk about that okay, here in a okay. bit. The next blank versus blank. Check email first thing in the morning versus save it for later in the day.
0: First thing in the morning, no doubt. And again, this is a very personal thing depending on how you work. It's interesting. I've heard advice saying that's not the thing you should do at the very beginning of your workday. You should focus on building projects out or doing work that might seem more substantial. But for me, it feels great to get that off of my list of things to do and then not worry about it the rest of the day. And the way I have approached that for the past couple of months is to work through every single email so that when I'm done, and that usually might take an hour or so, But when I'm done, I know that there's nothing else waiting for me and I can feel okay about not checking my email again until the next morning. I think that responding within a 24-hour time period consistently with email, I think that's good enough. So I'm trying to set things up where I don't have to check it after 9 a.m. From then on, I can focus on other things.
2: Do you schedule exercise and sleep versus take it when you can get it? I'm a big
0: scheduler in a lot of ways. So for both of those things, I schedule them into my day. Exercise for me comes, well, so kind of where email comes in the morning, exercise comes in the afternoon. It's a great break for me. I've always enjoyed, played a lot of sports growing up it feels good to exercise. It's never hard to like get me out the door to get out on a run. It's something that I enjoy and look forward to. So it's kind of nice to do that towards the end of the day. I usually go out at about three or four in the afternoon and uh, get in an hour of exercise each day. And then sleep has also become something that I've tried to get very consistent with because I keep hearing it from different ways from different places that sleep is huge for anybody doing creative work each day. And that creative work has become something that I'm doing more regularly than five years ago, I guess. And I can just tell how much more refreshed I am each day, obviously, how much energy I have. And I think the quality of creative work benefits from consistent sleep. So for me, that's right around 10 at night to 630 in the morning. That's my time. All right,
1: Doug, let's do true or false. You should seek progress, not perfection.
0: True. Seek progress, not perfection. Yeah, that's a big thing. I think with anything you do, I think growing a lot of us going through school. Well, I should just say for me, when I went through school, I was very much a perfectionist in my work. And there's a certain level of wanting to care about the quality of your work. But once you get into the type of work that involves creating things and shipping things in one way or another. So for me, that could be a sketch note or getting a website up or trying to put together an illustration. I'm much more on the end of getting it out there quicker and then making progress on that thing over time. rather than trying to perfect it from the beginning.
2: We're going to move into some regular questions for you now. I know you were recently at Pioneer Nation in Portland, Oregon. Tell us how was it and what were some of your takeaways from the conference? Yeah, Pioneer Nation was great. So I attended that
0: conference as a volunteer, which if, if you've been to any of the events put on by Chris Gillabo and the team of folks that puts on those events, you know right away, based on the number of people in colored shirts, how many volunteers there often are at events like that, which is a really fun way to get involved in an event like that. Because as a volunteer, you're helping out um, either with registration or with maybe in a particular workshop room or kind of just running around doing whatever tasks need to be done. But it was interesting, I guess one of my roles as a volunteer was kind of being the side of the main stage and I would kind of be a mic runner so I would take the mic from the speaker and kind of run it backstage for get ready for the next person. So being kind of that close to stage was really fun and still being able to see a lot of the presentations and sit in on some workshops was great for me because the timing of Pioneer Nation is right at a time where I guess since the beginning of this year since 2014 I've gotten real a lot more serious about turning the sketchnoting thing into a sustainable business for a while. So for maybe the year before that, I had been doing freelance work in that realm, gotten jobs here and there. And, you know, sometimes I'd get enough jobs in sketchnoting to pay the bills for a month, but definitely wasn't happening consistently enough. So starting at the beginning of this year, my mindset has shifted a little bit now that I've realized I'm intrigued enough with this idea of visual note-taking and sketching out ideas that I would like to kind of spend my full time doing things in that realm. So Pioneer Nation was kind of filled in a lot of gaps for me as I've been thinking about what I want that business to look like how I want to shape it and I'm still very ignorant on many business topics but a lot of the things that came up at Pioneer Nation and the folks that I was able to meet like Jody like we met there and just hearing the speakers connecting with the attendees started filling in a lot of the gaps that rather than filling in those gaps I feel like I'm building and I know where to build and how to build so that's what Pioneer Nation did for me which I'm very thankful
1: Doug, you've declared 2014 to be the year of conquering resistance. Would you be willing to explain that?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So that idea comes from a book that I read in late 2013 called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And in that book, Pressfield talks about this internal force that at times keeps us from doing creative work. So writers might experience that as some feelings of writer's block or of procrastination. I think that we all know what that feeling is like and come across it in all sorts of tasks. Some of the tasks that we want to do, we can even feel it towards and others that we don't want to do. There's that just kind of internal pull to not do that and go find something else to do. But what Pressfield talks about is that if you want to be a writer, if you want to be an illustrator, whatever your craft is, and you want to be a professional at it, you need to find ways to break through that resistance and get your work done. And I recognized that for a lot of 2013, as I was kind of slowly making a transition from doing sketchnoting for fun to doing it as a business, in that year, I relied far too much on motivation on a day-to-day basis. So if I woke up and felt motivated, I would get a lot done that day. But on days where I wasn't excited or I lacked confidence in what I was doing, then I would get much less work done. So as I kind of, at the end of 2013, looked back on that year and started recognizing that and had folks like Stephen Pressfield and I'm sure a number of other blogs that I follow and people that I listen to online, I think that idea of overcoming resistance was being reinforced in a variety of ways. I decided to kind of declare 2014 the year that I would try to tackle that. And even the idea of, you know, Declaring a theme for a year. That's the first time I've done that. And what I've seen more and more people doing, particularly in the world of blogging, is doing an annual review at the end of each year to spend, you know, a couple of weeks or a whole month looking back at the previous year, what went well, what you'd like to change, and doing some planning for the next year. And just the idea of creating a theme for a year, either in retrospect or in advance, there's something appealing about that to me. So it felt right to call 2014 the year of conquering resistance because I wanted my one goal. I mean, I've got plenty of mini goals throughout there, but my big goal is making sure that each day, the way I judge how well I spent a day isn't so much on something like how many new Twitter followers I gained, how many people visited my site, or how many people signed up for my email newsletter. It's whether I can look back on that day and say that I broke through that resistance and I got stuff done no matter how I was feeling. And the routines that I talked about, like getting to email first thing in the morning, getting exercise every day in the afternoon and getting sleep a lot, consistent sleep, those all kind of feed into that desire to break through that resistance. And I think that from what I've noticed so far, those routines have helped. And I've been, for the most part, pleased about how 2014 is going because of it.
2: You've mentioned sketchnoting a couple of times. Can you tell us what that is? Yes, I would love to. So sketch
0: noting is a form of note-taking. It also goes by the name of visual note-taking, back-of-the-napkin-ing, if you're a Dan Rome fan, info-doodling, if you're a Sonny Brown fan. So there are a number of books that I guess I just referenced there that have come out within the past five years about this idea of sketching ideas out using images and words and diagrams in a much more organic and visual fashion than what you might remember taking notes in your school what that was like. Chances are that was mostly words and maybe you had some bullet points in there or did a little bit of underlining or various ways to make certain information stand out. Sketchnoting, which was a term coined by Mike Rohde, who is another author that's put out a good book within the past year and is working on a, a second one. Sketchnoting focuses on adding that visual element because our brain does really good with visuals. And not only do we process them quicker than we can process words, we're also much better at remembering visuals. So when you go through, if you're listening to a talk or reading a book, and you go through the process, it's a skill that takes some time to develop. And I still have a lot of growth developing my Skills in this realm of sketchnoting. But when you put in the effort with your brain to create some visual representation of an idea, it's much more solidly locked in there so that you can better remember it and kind of pull it up in the future. So it's a tool for learning, but it's also a tool for processing your own ideas and problem solve in a different way. So I'm seeing it more as one of those core skills and a core tool that you can apply to a variety of situations, which is why I'm now very intrigued. With it and feel pretty confident in kind of spending a lot of my time in this space, both continuing to sketch note myself but then kind of moving in the direction of helping others learn how to sketch note as well.
1: Doug, you've kind of hinted on this. If you could just real quickly tell us about what is a sketch note skill builder and then if you'd be willing maybe to explain the concept behind verbal to visual
0: yeah so the sketch note skill builder is a book that i'm currently working on to help people develop their sketch noting and their visual note taking skills i've already mentioned a few three books i think so far that kind of are, are comprehensive topics on this idea of visual note taking and those three are great one is the sketch note handbook by mike Grody, the doodle revolution by sunny brown and her ted talk sunny's ted talk is the reason that i started doing this in the first place so check that out too and then dan rome he's had a couple the back of the napkin and blah blah, blah. Those are good books. And they're all kind of in that form of not quite a textbook, but kind of in that realm where introducing this concept and kind of giving a comprehensive overview What I see is people are, say they read one of those books and are intrigued by this idea and want to pick up this skill. There are a lot of good activities within those books, but I think it's in the area of practice where people might need some more support. So the Sketchnote Skill Builder is a book of activities to help you just develop your skills. They're kind of open-ended, suggested things that you can do that even doing one or two of them each week over time will help you to build your skills. So that's kind of what that book is looking like. And I'm hoping to have that out in a couple of months. I've been documenting the progress of developing that book on my blog, which has kind of been fun to see even how that process has come together, because this is the first book that I've ever worked on. So it's an interesting project in and of itself to take on. And I kind of enjoy digging into the process of creation, no matter what the project entails. So that's been fun to explore. So that's the Sketchnote Skill Builder. Verbal to Visual is a newer project that came up actually as a result of Pioneer Nation. I remember sitting in one of the main talks in one of the workshops and the idea of creating a podcast around the same topic of bringing ideas to life in this visual way just made a lot of sense to me. So what that podcast will look like, the main audience that I hope to reach with that is people that want to develop their visual note-taking skills and to help them do that, there are a couple of different style of shows. Half of the shows are going to be solo shows, so it will be just me as the host talking about resources and research that I'm doing on my own and sharing some kind of skill building tips online and maybe even doing a little lesson there on the air, so specifically directed to folks picking up the skill. But I also wanted to incorporate interviews into it as well. So I've already done three of those interviews. The The podcast itself will be launching a week from today, actually. And the interviews kind of come into play based on the title. So that title, Verbal to Visual, has a couple meanings. The first has to do with translating ideas from verbal informed to visual. So that's the idea of taking something that starts out just as audio, someone giving a talk or just as words in a book, and then turning those ideas into something visual. That's what sketchnoting is all about. But I'm also curious about talking to people that are doing work along kind of a broader spectrum, all the way from people doing visual work to verbal work. So in that sense, verbal to visual is the spectrum from writing to illustration and everything in between. So bringing on guests that do work at some point along that spectrum and chatting with them about their process, I think will also inform those that are interested in sketchnoting and visual note-taking. And I hope provide a little bit more depth to the conversation around this idea of visual note-taking in the first place. So that's the podcast is all about.
2: sketchnoting and illustrating has been a big part of your daily activity and your business. What are some ways illustrating can be used that our listeners may not have thought of? The biggest
0: thing that I've found, both related to sketchnoting and illustration, and again I would say for me the only difference between the two is a little bit more time and more polish to get from a sketch note to an illustration, but I think both, what I've found is that either of those two ways of representing an idea or a set of ideas, when you throw them up on a wall and then you look at them each day or you put them in a place where you wanted to be reminded of those ideas, that's where a lot of the power comes from. So as I like look around my Room right now, I have one wall where I'm just throwing up each new SketchNote that I do. So if I listen to a talk online or reading a book or whatever, whenever I finish a SketchNote, I have a section of wall where I throw that up. So I'm kind of this growing wall of ideas that I SketchNote. But I also have a wall that's kind of dedicated to business development as I figure out what I want this business to look like and kind of become more acquainted with fundamental business concepts. I've got a wall dedicated to that, which a bunch of sketches and ideas and again that combination of ideas expressed in words, but others expressed in visuals. So having those things to look at and to reference and to remind myself of the things that I want to keep in mind day to day, that's, I think, where the power lies. And initially, when I started noting, a lot of that, the ideas that I would want to post would be things that I would hear from someone else, like I'd be listening to a podcast, like some interview, and someone would share an idea that kind of changed the way that I looked at the world. And if that was a perspective that I wanted to maintain, if I liked the way that the world looked, looking through it with that lens, then I would try to just put a quick sketch together and throw that up on my wall, like above my desk or somewhere else in my room to remind myself of that idea and then be better able to carry it with me throughout the day or the week or the year or however long I wanted that to stick around. So I think that's where the power lies in in noting and illustration. And I hope that makes it seem like a more approachable thing for people that might not see themselves as someone that would pick up a pen and sketch things out because really the artistic quality is not the important thing in all this. It's the visual representation of an idea and even rough sketches can do that, which I think is pretty cool.
1: Definitely. Doug, we're going to start to wrap up here, but what is the best place for the listeners to check out your sketch notes, learn more about your podcast and connect with you online?
0: Yeah, the best place to find all that would be from my homepage, which is just dougneil.com. And the last name is N-E-I-L-L. That's kind of where I point to the other things that I do. Primarily at this point are where I blog about sketchnoting. That's the graphicrecorder.com. And then the new podcast that's about to launch, that's verbaltovisual.com. But then I'm also on Twitter there, fairly active on Twitter. And that you can find all of that from dougneil.com. So that's kind of the place to start. Do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? Final thoughts? I would say just a word of encouragement, if this sounds interesting to you, the idea of sketching out ideas, if that sounds interesting to you but you might be scared of putting visuals onto a page, I think a great place to start is just picking up a pen and a notebook or a pencil and a physical notebook, like a paper notebook, and just start scribbling, start making some marks. Don't worry about the artistic quality of whatever shows up on the page. Just start scribbling things out and get used to making marks on a page. matter whether you're just doodling nothing, just putting marks on a page, I think can be a good start and open your mind and eventually your muscle memory to doing more things with it. So I think I'd say that grab a pen or pencil and a notebook, which I do think has a, um, it's a different experience than working on a tablet or on a screen. So start playing around with those more analog old school tools. That would be my last thought, I think.
1: Doug, I think my three-year-old daughter is onto something.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure she, I, yeah, yeah. I have a total, it's, it's really interesting now to go and see like younger kids, like doodling and doing things. Cause I think I have a much different view of that now than I would have a couple years ago when I didn't even know about sketchnoting. So yes, let your kids doodle away too. There's a good message for you awesome.
1: also. Doug, thank you so much for being on the show. Jody and I appreciate your time. Best wishes to you, your sketch notes, the new podcast and everything you're doing. Thanks, man. Thank you guys. It's been fun chatting with you.
0: the effort. With your brain to create some visual representation of an idea, it's much more solidly locked in there so that you can better remember it and kind of pull it up in the future. So it's a tool for learning, but it's also a tool for processing your own ideas and problem solve in a different way. So I'm seeing it more as one of those core skills and a core tool that you can apply to a variety of situations, which is why I'm now very intrigued with it and feel pretty confident in kind of spending a lot of my time in this space. Both continuing to sketch note myself, but then kind of moving in the direction of helping others learn how to sketch note as well.